Welcome back, everybody. Rooted in Logos Podcast, episode number 51. My name is Brad. I am joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend, the one, Austin Theodore Loop the third. It's definitely not my middle name. <laughs> Austin, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing not too bad. Doing all right. Uh, kind of a slow day, so just kind of, I don't know, moving along, I guess. Yeah. What about you? Been good, doing all right. Yeah, kind of tired today. It's uh, wasn't super slow, wasn't super busy. Just kind of a, like you said, a day that almost meandered on a little bit. Yep. We had some really nice weather, and then it's gonna be nasty tomorrow. Yeah. Just rain all day, and then back in the 30s on Wednesday. So that's gonna be awesome. Just, just love the roller coaster that is our weather here in the Ohio Valley. Oh yeah. So never a dull moment. So we are uh, excited to jump back in. We're actually gonna kind of take it back a little bit and go back into biblical manhood. Uh, we started that a number of weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago. And yeah. uh, this is, I think, our fourth episode on that. So yeah. um, we're going to dive into the role of men in the church and in the home um, from a single perspective, from a married perspective, and then just from a church perspective, like what what are we supposed to be doing? But first, I got two things. Okay. All right. First thing, and, and this, was, this one's going to be short. John Cooper from Skill, we've talked about him a lot and talked about how he is one of the main voices for Orthodox Christianity at this yep. point. You know, he is standing up against the progressive movement, the critical race theory movement, the deconstruction movement, and he's really been vocal about being an Orthodox Christian and, and believing what we should believe and what the Bible says to believe. Because what we're seeing now and what we've seen, we you know, again, we've alluded to this is, you know, people who are taking their faith and basically ripping it apart and talking about and taking away things they don't, they don't agree with. Yeah. Things that offend them, things that don't fit with our current culture and not being biblical. So he, uh, he, he gets online and he, he does, there's a video floating around on YouTube of him at Winter Jam. And just declare, basically, he says, I declare war against this deconstruction movement. Like, he is really? declaring war. He is all out. And it, he broke the internet. He, it, people went nuts. And people within the supposed Orthodox Christianity went nuts. You hate people who question their faith. You you don't want anyone to ever ask questions. You want people just to believe blindly. It's not what he's saying at all. Not at all. That's, he's saying, but, no, it's okay to, yeah, question. We all have questions. I think it's normal. Think it's okay to have questions yeah. and to want to deepen your faith. He's talking about these people who are just saying, "I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I'll take. I'll keep this part in." True de deconstruction yeah. of scripture. Yeah, Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't like that one. Let's make Allah okay too, or I don't like that one. Let's make any road leads to heaven. But love your neighbor. So yeah, I'm okay with that part. Yeah, and just this idea of we can pick and choose what we believe. And so he is just going nuts. So I, I say all that just to say. Check out his stuff. Check out his podcast, uh, Cooper Stuff Podcast. He is doing a series on why this angered everyone so much. Why Why is he stirring the pot? Like, yeah. what's causing this? Um, and it gives you a really good insight into this deconstruction movement. Uh, you know, we had... Um, I've seen people that I've... That are it that are within the faith talking about this, and maybe this is a good movement to have, and, and it's just not. Mm -hmm. Um you know, just look into it and just know. And maybe one day we'll dive into that topic at some point here. 
Yeah. Um, well, and it, it kind of, it kind what of it is. plays in our, into our topic for this week and even next week's topic a little bit. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a yeah. minute. So the second one, and this is a little less serious on the Christianity side of things, but uh, Austin, you, you probably didn't. Maybe you did. I don't know. Did you happen to see the Michigan basketball coach throw a punch at a Wisconsin assistant coach? That would be no. Okay, well, I didn't know. Maybe if you saw it on Facebook or something, you never know. Yeah, no. Clips pop up here and there, right? Of things. That's true. Yeah, so. I guess it hadn't got big enough for that yet. Yeah, oh, it's it's big. It's so, here, big. so here's kind of what happened. There's videos of it all over all over the internet. Um, a Wisconsin beat Michigan pretty handily in basketball on Saturday. Apparently, the Wisconsin head coach called a timeout with 15 seconds left because Michigan team was still pressing and... Michigan basketball coach Jawan Howard took high offense to this and said it was classless and whatever. So they try to go do a blow-by in the handshake line where they don't even talk to each other. And the Wisconsin coach stopped him and tried to talk to him. Well, Howard grabbed him by his shirt, using a lot of foul language. There's a video that actually picks up what he was saying to him, and it was pretty, wow. it was pretty bad. Yeah. They all kind of get into this little tough one, and all of a sudden, Jawan Howard, the head basketball coach of the University of Michigan... Throws a punch at Ooh. one of the assistant coaches. Yeah. Causes a whole a huge fight. You have a couple of Michigan players throwing haymakers. I mean, throwing bombs at each other, at yeah. uh, the other team. I made the mistake of getting on Twitter after that and oh. reading some of the responses to this. Because my first thought, I, I've watched all the videos, all the angles of it. And the Wisconsin coach shouldn't have stopped him from doing the blow-by. Should have just let him go. He might need to be suspended for something for kind of starting the kerfuffle a little bit and kind of egging it on, egging it on a little bit. But then I, I, my first instinct was this, this basketball coach needs to be fired at the very least suspended for the rest of the year, if not fired. Yeah. And so I just jump online just to see what people are saying. I don't know why I did that. And, and here's why I'm bringing this up because this really bothers me and I want to rant about it for just a minute. Okay. Um, what do you think? And I'm just going to see if you, Maybe you can guess. What do you think the one thing people started talking about when it talks about firing Jawan Howard is? Racism. Yes. Of course. Yeah. If you want him fired, you are a racist. Because if you are black and you go along with this leftist mentality that you are constantly a victim, you are untouchable. You can do whatever yeah. you want. You don't have to be held to the same standards as anybody else. And people are going to defend you. So anyone who want, who thinks he should be fired is racist. Yeah. And I'm only saying that because it really bugs me. I'm so tired of all this racial conflict that is not stirred by anybody but the left. Anybody oh, but yeah. that side of the aisle. Yeah. And it's just it's just frustrating. And I'm curious what's going to happen with, with, with Howard. Yeah. Apparently, a couple years ago, he got into a, a shouting match with another coach from a different team. And threatened to kill, threatened to kill him. I mean, if, oh, you know, wow. just in a, in a, I'm just, I'm gonna kill you, you know, just yeah. real angry. And uh, so he's he's known for some emotional outbursts. Hmm. Uh, but this time you have the coach of a college basketball program throwing a punch. Look, it's one thing if the players get into it and maybe a punch is thrown or shoving and, and whatever their kids like it's not okay. But you got to, right. it's a teaching moment. Oh yeah, right. And and it's a way. You know, you suspend them for a game or two and, and you sit them down and say, this is why this is not what our program's about. It's not what we're doing. But when it's the head coach, yeah. the, the one who is supposed to be the model of all this, come on. you got to hold yourself to a higher standard, don't you? Kind of inclines me to 
look at, okay, what all is he teaching these kids? If he's willing to fly off the handle that easy and he does not have the long suffering it takes to go, go through something like that. Yeah. So I, I guess my, my point would be this, this isn't nothing almost. There's almost nothing at this point that's about skin color anymore in modern day America. Not saying pockets of racism don't exist. I'm not saying pocket, you know, there's people that are like, I get it, but as a general rule, It's the content of your heart, not the color of your skin that should matter. And that's where I'm at with this. And that's where that's John, John Cooper from Skillet talks about this all the time. Uh, This guy named Jason Whitlock, I think he's a former NFL player. He talks about this a lot where he's like, you know, what, what's happening in the African-American community is, is, is wrong. They're not being held to the same standard as everybody else because they're constantly the victim. Right. And when that, when you're constantly the victim, no matter what your skin color is, when you're constantly the victim, you play the victim constantly. You're never going to get anywhere in life, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna succeed. It's gonna be tough. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, <clears throat> look at the content of your character. Your character is what matters in the, in these situations. Yeah. Well, so tying in biblically, looking at that mentality of the uh, the victim mentality is anti-biblical. It is so far removed from the Bible that it. I maybe that's one episode that we'll actually get into. It's like looking at this, uh, this culture of making yourself out to be the victim. Let's dive into scripture and say, okay, what does scripture say about that? And I mean, Exhibit A. Look at Jesus. <laughs> right. Look at look at his apostles. Every single one of them martyred except John. And did any single one of them go through any of their letters, being like, oh, woe is me? No. No, they didn't. So yeah, that that always irks me. Basically, grow up, and it, it leads into our topic today. <clears throat> we're uh, we're looking at the role of man. Uh, looking at this de- deconstruction that's going on in our our culture, but especially in our faith. Looking at scripture, and you have all these different divisions of churches that are they are they're going through it. And they're looking at the the parts they like, and they're ignoring the parts they don't. And so, today we're going to look at the role of man in the world, in the church, in the home. Um, What exactly does that look like, and what does Scripture say about it? Uh, We'll touch a little bit on women, but that's going to be next week. And this is just kind of a heads up for you guys. Do not automatically hear that and think, I'm not going to listen. Or hear it and think, well, I'm going to listen so I can tear it apart and, I don't know, debunk, whatever. That's fine. Do what you want. I'm just saying, come at it with an open mind to Scripture and a soft heart. And pray, Lord, soften my heart to Scripture. Because that's what we're doing. We're we're reading Scripture and we're going based on what the Word of God says. Well, it's one of those, we talked about this, I think, yesterday at church and and even I think I even, we even mentioned it Friday at Covenant Training. If you can come to me with a biblical reason why the way I've interpreted Scripture is, is incorrect, and you can come and you can say, look, here's, here is biblically why, and it's not emotions-based, mm-hmm. I'm in. I am. Oh, yeah. And so when we talk about these topics, and when we get into other topics later on down the road that are controversial and that are or quote-unquote controversial, even, you know controversial just because of the culture, not because they're scriptural. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But when we come up to these topics, 
you take your, you try as best as you can to take your emotions out of it. You know, we, we, we're talking about predestination at, at church and, and it's was spurred because of conversations we've had in the past. And then even on Friday night at covenant training, talking about just this idea of predestination and, and to a lesser extent, Calvinism and whatnot as a whole. And, you know, I think it's pretty clear for both of us. We lean a certain direction with, with this based on our reading of scripture and based on what the passage says. But what, I, what I'm afraid of, and, and I'm afraid of for this topic as well, for topics of women and men in the church and our right. roles, I'm afraid of th- our emotions are going to get the better of us. And we're going to say, well, that's just not fair. Yeah. Well, God's mean for doing that. That's our emotions. That, that's yep. not thinking scripturally. It's not thinking that's biblically. It's not biblical. Yeah. So in all topics of scripture and theology, use, in this case, use your head, not your heart. Right. And, and what does scripture say? Yeah. And ask God to soften your heart towards the scripture to remember, okay, this may not seem fair today in my culture, but it's God. Oh, yeah. He he does what he wants. <laughs> yeah. And his, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So just keep an open mind as we go through this stuff. Yeah. not Don't just look to get angry yeah. like I did with the basketball story. <laughs> Do the opposite of that. <clears throat> yeah. All right. I guess we can start out with man's role in the world. And, and this does play into women as well. Um, so, I just starting out, let's start out in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll read uh, verse 26 through 30. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So, right there, right off the bat, what is the role of man, man and women, in the world. And God says, I have given dominion over over the face of the earth to you. Every living creature is under your responsibility. And everything, food, every plant, everything that the trees that yield fruit, it's yours to eat. Literally everything is yours. There was only one thing that God said you can't, and it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But literally everything else, God said, it's yours. Do what you want with it. And after the fall going into today's day and age, you know, looking at this whole Greenpeace side of things and taking care of the earth and not polluting it. It's like, well, well, yeah, there's definitely truth to that because we have been given dominion over the face of the earth, but we need to take care of it. We do. I'm throwing the trash on the ground and leaving it. Yeah, that's, that's not taking care of what God, the God of the universe has given us as people. So our role here on earth are our stewards. We are taking care of earth. We're taking care of everything, but 
everything has been given to us. Let's eat the food. I mean, pre-fall, we didn't eat meat, but post-fall, we, we eat meat and it's okay. I like meat. That is the role of man and women in the earth. And I mean, you can get into deeper topics with that. I just, I do want to point out, it is, it's being good stewards, right? It is showing respect to God's creation and not abusing it, right? right. But also understanding that human life is the most precious life. So our life, we have dominion over the animals. Our life is more precious than our animals, and and, and a different topic of of course. But you, we you know we kill um, you know however many million babies a year, while the same people that are for that are screaming about saving the whales and the dogs and the cats and the elephants and the tigers. Yep. Okay, I'm all for that too. Like let's preserve endangered species. Yes, cool, but not to the detriment of our of of babies. Yep, and not to the detriment of humans. Yep. So there, recognize the hierarchy. We mm-hmm. have dominion over the earth. Human life is more valuable than the life of the animals. Yes. And the, and the animal <clears throat> kingdom. Yeah. And the plant kingdom, and and just the earth in general. Yeah. Humans are the most precious commodity. We were put here on earth yeah. to have dominion over it. And so the next part, uh, Genesis chapter two, start in verse eighteen, and I'll just read through twenty-four. Then the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone." I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God made every living creature, including man, out of dust. Once once all the creatures were made, once Adam was made, God brought all these animals to Adam to be named. When you name something and you are taking that authority, you're taking that control over that. It's just that. He has taken authority over the animals. God gave him dominion, but now he's taking it. And he's basically fulfilling his role as that position of taking control. And so he's naming every living creature. And once he gets through it all, uh, there's actually a sermon by uh, Vody Bachman, a godly man. Uh, he he was going through this and he's like, man, I could just imagine. He's going through and he's like, that's... That's a, a she elephant, and that's a he elephant. And that's a that's a he tiger, and that's a she tiger. And then he's like, everybody got somebody. I got nobody. <laughs> and so he's like, it's like God is like, all right, something's missing. But and but that was it. There was nothing for Adam that was capable of truly being his help meet, not help mate. And Vody makes this definition of when you look in the King James. People get it wrong as in helpmate, but it's not. It's help meet. Meet is defined as suitable. It's defined as suitable. So it is a suitable helper. And there was nothing there. So God caused the sleep to come over Adam. And what did he do? He took the rib out. And a lot of people say, well, this signifies that, you know, didn't take a bone out of his foot or take a bone out of his head. So took something out of the middle to make them equal. But 
what is interesting is that literally everything was created out of dust except Eve. Eve was made out of the flesh of Adam. And so we have this this beautiful picture of once Adam wakes up and he sees this woman, he names her. He takes authority over her and takes on that role of leadership. But he realizes that this is nothing like God made in the beasts. And there is importance to her because she's not just the dust. And so there's this equality, but there is still this leadership head as well. So looking at this role, and this is where we're diving in, of who takes the leadership, who is meant to lead in the world, in the church, in the home, so on and so forth. And it starts right here. Literally every other, I guess you could say argument, but we're not here to argue. We're just here to point out scripture. But everything else through scripture points right back to this. It is, for man came first, then came woman. And Adam named the woman and therefore took authority over her. You know, it's funny because even though I know this is true, you still get a little uncomfortable. You're just kind of like, oh man, people aren't going to like this. Oh yeah. But it's... This is the truth. This is what truth, the Bible truth is says. Not yeah. comfortable at times. Yeah, I'm just sitting there thinking, man, ooh, this is. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm to, I'm expecting some backlash. Yeah, from but this one. not. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying, you know, you, you even though I know it's true, I'm just kind of a little squirmy because it's like, oh, this is you know a little uncomfortable, especially in our culture in our day and age right now. Oh yeah, in the climate that we're in. Well, and and again, looking at the Bible, you call yourself a Christian. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And most should say, yes, I do. Okay, well, do you believe all of it is the Word of God? And I'm like, okay, let's look at places like this. And this is where people are like, well, well, that's not what that means. It's like, no, you can't, you can't do that. It says it. It says it right here, black and white, that that's what it means. It, it is. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to be naming out some scripture. We can talk a little bit about them. But I, I'm giving this background for why are men the head? Why should men be the head? And so basically just some scripture to back it up as we talk about it. So first one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 3. And it says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So this is Paul writing the Corinthians. This is not cultural. This is biblical. This is ageless. This is Paul saying, To every head of man is Christ. To every head of woman is the man. And to the head of Christ is God. Now, this is also more in the confines of marriage. When we are looking at a husband and a wife, the head of the wife is the husband, and then the husband to Christ, the Christ to God. This is the biblical structure that has been placed before us. There has been no other structure throughout Scripture that says otherwise. And so, uh, we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7 through 9, and it says, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made for woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Woman came from man, and men were not created for women. It was the other way around. Women were created for man. So you have this structure, you have this way that God created, and this is how he wants it done. And this gets into a, a much bigger topic, I believe, of what a godly marriage looks like practically. Like, how does this practically play out? And that's probably not something we can really dive into today 
I wouldn't be qualified to talk about it personally, but it, it does lead to my, my first question. Okay. What does this look like? Practically speaking? Yes. The man being the head of the house. And we'll touch on it. I know tonight. Yeah. But you know, that's a, that's a big topic that we need to get into yeah. at some point. And um, yeah, we're, we're actually going to about, about to talk about it. Yeah. Right? Like I said, yeah. we'll definitely touch on it. So for yeah. sure. But I just wanted to point out that this won't be comprehensive and it won't be all encompassing. I don't think yeah. unless it is, I don't know. My, my main point, <laughs> really my main point in this is saying, look, men, this is your role yeah. in scripture. This is what we need to be doing. And so, I don't know, maybe it'll wake somebody up. I don't know. We'll see. That's my, that's my hope. That's my prayer. So yeah, let's go to Ephesians chapter five, verse 20 through 22 through 23. This is wives and husbands. And I'm, I'm just going to read this whole section because it is such theologically rich and it is so important. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And this is the part I want to get to. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So right off the bat, in verse 32, Paul is saying this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Nothing like this has ever been said in Scripture. This is a mystery. This is a revelation that God gave Paul to write the Ephesians and to write to us. So it is so important. He parallels marriage with the relationship of Christ in the church. And looking at this submissiveness, because a, a lot of times, a lot of weddings I go to, they like to throw in how the wife submits to the husband, but also that the husband submits to the wife. And yes, to a point, but what they are saying is not biblical because they, they go back just a couple verses beforehand, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. And that's Paul talking about walking in love, walking in love with other fellow believers. So the submission that the wife has for the husband is this, I recognize your authority and your rule basically over the house, and I, I'm submitting my will to that. Because going back to Genesis, Genesis chapter, let me flip there real quick. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, this is God speaking to Eve. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And that's a that's a dicey subject for a lot of people. It's a product of the fall. Because yeah. in the context of that passage, that is had, part of yeah, the yeah. fall of man. It just occurred. Exactly. Yeah, good. talking about the the increase of pain in childbirth. And then after that is when he says this. And the woman is going to want to lead. 
And we saw that back with Adam and Eve. She she stepped in. She's talking to the serpent. And a lot of people think that Adam was off doing something. No. You go back and read, Adam was standing right there next to her. This whole time, he's watching her talk to the serpent. And she picks the fruit. She eats it. And then says, then she turns and gives it to her husband. This whole time, Adam is standing there watching this. He stepped out of his role, and instead of doing what he was supposed to do, he let his wife lead. And because of that, it's almost like she got this taste for it. And therefore, her will will be contrary to the man's. And so when it's talking about being submissive to your husband, it's, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husband. So, this is talking about your husband. This is not talking about every other man in the church. This is your husband. Again, this gets into other other topics of, okay, what do I do if I have an abusive husband? Or what do I do if my husband is not a believer? Which, those are all things that I would love to get into. And we might, we might touch on it here in a little bit. But looking at the man... What is how is the man supposed to lead his wife? Let me say too, just a practical example that I've heard. This was coming from a, one of my mentors when I was back in college. He was talking about marriage with him and his wife, and you know, he was talking about biblical marriage and godly marriage and the husband being the head of the household. And you know, he he basically had this example. He said, you know, if my wife and I are discussing a, a major decision or a decision of any sort within our house, and there is a disagreement where he thinks it should go one way, she thinks it should go another way, and they can't necessarily come to a conclusion conclusion that's satisfactory to both sides, where compromises takes place and stuff like that. If they if that doesn't happen, she will then say, okay, I don't necessarily agree with this, but whatever you say is what we're going to do. Yes. And I'm like, okay, that, that has stuck with me all these years, never being married, never having that experience, but just that idea of, her being able to say, look, I may not agree with you on this for whatever reason, but whatever you say is is what we're going to go with. Yeah. As far as these kind of decisions, these bigger decisions that they make for yeah. the house, yeah. for their family. And and that's 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 the rule that Emily and I, we go through as well. Uh, it, my wife and I, we, we're going on, we're in our seventh year married and uh, we're still very young. But I read this and, and that is my prayer. And whenever somebody asks me, what can I pray for you for? It's pray that God would help me love my wife like Christ loves the church. I want to love my wife better. I want to treat her better. And looking again at this parallel of Christ in the church, going back, looking at the ministry of Christ, um, he had the authority upon authority, true leadership. And, And we can take so much from this, again, as our role as men in the world. You know, when you are placed into that authority figure, leading men, either military-wise or in just in the workforce. You can take so much from this, from Christ being the king, lowering himself enough to wash his disciples' feet. That shows humbleness, but true leadership. And and that is the kind of love that the man needs to have for his wife. And, and so, looking, uh, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It is the man's responsibility and job 
to literally wash his wife in the word of God. And there are so many ways to do this. One just being reading out loud to your wife, reading out loud to to your family in scripture, making sure your wife has time to go through the word and study on her own and just spending time in prayer. Uh, One thing that we, we try to incorporate whenever I get home, I say, okay, I've got the kids. You go upstairs, take next 30 minutes and just spend it in scripture and prayer. It's everyone. So I'll be able to just, I'll be able to do that while I'm working. If, if not, then I'll say, okay, you come down, I'll go do it for 30 minutes. And then we have family scripture time and we're able to just read the word together. And I'm reading over my family, but that's me reading over my family, having her have her own time in scripture, uninterrupted by children. And again, there's so many different ways to do this, but it's intentional. Oh, and, and it's, it, it also sounds as simple as making sure your family stays in church. Yes. And being under a pastor and being under someone teaching the word from, from that setting and that standpoint. That doesn't absolve the husband of that responsibility, of course, of, of, of reading the word over his family. Right. But that is another aspect of this, is yes. being in the church. I mean, you look at... Statistically speaking, when the mom goes to church and the dad doesn't, the kids likely don't follow. Yeah. But when the dad goes to church, the kids are, I mean, exponentially more likely to follow. Yeah. And the family as a whole is likely to follow. Yeah. You know, it's about being a leader for, for your home. Yeah. Spiritually. And and making church a priority. Making God's word a priority. And it is so important. So important. And and so I want to pick this out too. So verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, this verse and the other verse of laying down your life for, for your spouse, for your wife. A lot of female pastors will take that and say, oh, well, this is the part of scripture where it says, basically, the husband is not relinquishing his right as leader, but laying down his life so that I'm able to teach basically in his stead. Um, uh, Beth Moore, Beth Moore is one of those, and she uses that scripture a lot. And that's not what this is saying. It's not. This is literally talking about your life. That when Christ laid down his life, died for the church, so men should love their wives the exact same way. Right. They should be willing to give their lives up for their wives. And that that's you know that self-sacrificing love. It's protection, you know, is protecting the family at all costs. Yeah. And and protecting them physically, spiritually, financially, all of this, all encompassing perfect love that Christ shows. Yeah. That we we're not going to live up to, but that we strive for. Yeah, exactly. And this gets into uh, a couple other topics, but looking at, again, how scripture talks about a man and a wife. It talks about children. It talks about discipline. It talks about the role of parents for children, which we're, we're actually about to get to here in a little bit for the the male for the father figure. But it's kind of a uh, it's kind of morbid. But I'm going to go there. This part of scripture talking about this place in which you are placing your wife. You are not to place your children in that position like your wife. It is a completely different role. And one way to look at it, which again is kind of barbaric, but Say you have two sets of train tracks. Uh, one has your wife and one has your children. Who are you going to save? And it is a is a really hard question to ask. But if you look at it biblically, all day long it says your wife. You, when you marry your wife, you become one flesh. Literally, you become one. 
you don't become one with your children. And this has to be put into perspective of who are you putting your time into more? Are you neglecting your wife and putting more time into your children? Because that is wrong. You need to, again, the hierarchy, it goes God, then your wife, then your children. But your wife is below God. And it has to be that way because you are one flesh and you are to love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Very important. Kind of morbid, but that's to get you thinking. Who is, who is the, what's the hierarchy and who is more important when it comes to your spiritual life? It's your wife. Just again, just more scripture backing it up. What I'm trying to say, first Peter chapter three, verses one through two, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, so again, this is, this is talking a little bit more about, about the wife topic. And again, th- this is a topic that I, I want to get into, but it's wives be subject to your own husbands, your own husbands, not any other husband throughout the church. It's, it's yours, your husband. And then same chapter, but verses five through six, for this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, referring back to Sarah and Abraham, Sarah calling Abraham Lord, giving him that respect, giving him that honor of, yes, you have that authority over me. Which is interesting. I always thought, going back to uh, Ephesians, it says... For husbands to love your wives, but it says nothing about wives loving your husbands. Why? Well, knowing women having that more tender side than men, uh, it's it's more implied. Women have that natural tendency to love and to be passionate and tender than us guys. We are more brash. We are more uh, uh, rub dirt in it type deal. And... That's not why it's as in com- touch with our emotions, not as in touch yeah. with, you know, the the tender t- yeah, side, the more yeah. tender side of things. Yeah. yeah, and and that's why it's a command to love your wives. Yeah, because we need that <laughs> command. <laughs> so, First Peter chapter three verse seven it says, "Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you." Of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, such such a, a rich part two from Peter. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. This is understand that you're not going to understand what your wife is saying. Uh, if you have a wife, you know what I'm talking about. But it's being tender, knowing that that she women are so much different than men, and we need to come at that from an understanding way to be like, okay, I need to take a step back and say, I I do not fully understand women. (laughs) Let me ask you this. And because this, again, is not a topic I've spent a lot of time researching. Yeah. Just, just because (laughs) never has come up. It hasn't really come up in my life. Uh, But that passage you just read there in Peter, it it had a, and and maybe I just need better context. And maybe you can help provide that. It almost sounds too of, of, like take your wife into consideration. Take take her yeah. feelings. Take her her 
thoughts on whatever subject you guys are discussing, whatever topic, whatever decisions being made, take her into consideration. Don't just steamroll necessarily, right? Yes. Understand where they're coming from and understand that, I mean, you are one flesh. Yeah. You, You are, you're a team. It, it is not, yes, the authority stop, rests on you and it, it stops with you, but you don't abuse that authority. Yeah. You know, what, what is the what the best people you've ever, just take it to a job perspective, the best people you've ever worked for are people that listen to you and people that take your thoughts and your and, and opinions and thoughts and ideas into consideration and, yeah. and talk to you as a human being and not just rule with an iron fist. Yeah. So I think that passage, the way I heard it when you were talking about it, just without really getting into context, had that connotation as well. Yeah. And and it does. And we need, as men, we need to realize we have been given that authority, but they are also co-heirs with us. When we get to heaven at the end of the age, your wife will be given a name that only her and Christ will know. You won't know and neither anybody else. She is a daughter of the king as you are a son of the king. And you are just as important as she is. So realizing that is very important. And my wife is my greatest confidant, my greatest counselor, as you would say, as, as we go through scripture, the, there are things that she points out where I'm just like, oh, I did not see that. And she's been able to influence me and embolden me, I guess you could say, but all the while understanding her role, she, she knows she can't lead me, but she's going to do whatever she can to help me. Kind of nudge you in the right direction, so to speak. But even even then, that's it's a way of leading. Yeah, and and that's a hard one too because as I, I want to get into this, and maybe we'll have Emily Emily on here too for that. But what does that look like? And we'll go off on a little bit. Say you have a, a husband that is a non-believer, not going to church. Are you the wife that is literally trying to drag him to church, nudge him, push him, lead him, all that? That is contrary to what scripture is saying. You you are not to lead him. You're not to push him. You're not to, to have that role. So how do you get your husband to church? How do you get him to do that? And, and again, to not go in too deep, but one of the biggest ones is you pray. So maybe we'll get, we'll get to that at a, at a later point because that'll, that'll take a lot more in-depth study. But going back to the men's role of leading their wives, leading, leading the woman. And I, I, I want to ask this question to the men of, are you consumed with your hobbies? Are you consumed with yourself? Are you consumed with your career or even your ministry? Um, you're a pastor or you're a missionary. Are you consumed with these other things that is, are taking the time away from your wife and from your family? Well, I, I hope that you see this for me is I'm, I try to be with us doing this. I want it to be as consistent as possible. As far as like, I respect your time with your wife and your kids. And yes. that is important to me as your brother in Christ, as your friend. Yeah. It's important to me that you don't feel like this is taking too much time or, or, or monopolizing time away that you need to be with your family. And if Austin were to ever say, Hey, I got to either step back or, I can't record tonight because of the, whatever the case may be, because of something with the family that I'm like, absolutely. That is, that is the most important thing. Yeah. Is your wife and your kids. And, and this comes yeah. below that. 
Yeah. And, and I hope he sees that. And I don't know that, that that's, you know, my I do, and I respect it a lot. Is, I appreciate you know, it. We, we've, I get asked a, a few opportunities here and there to talk to other podcasts or other people, and I'm like, well, I'm in, because I don't have, you know, a lot of commitments outside of, you know, with a family type scenario. I'll get with Austin if you can't. It's cool. Like, yeah. I, he's got a family. And if yeah. he can't take the time away, then he can't take the time away. And, you know, we'll respect yeah. that because that, that is important. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I do. Because <clears throat> looking at it from this point of view of they are my ministry. They're my number one ministry. My wife and then my children. And then after that, then I'm able to branch out. And, and this is this is our ministry. But... If I get to the point where this is consuming my time and I am not putting the leadership time into my wife, if she is supposed to submit to my leadership, but I am not there to pour into her, then that that creates anger. It creates the dissension. It creates division between the husband and the wife. And um, we've seen that. We've seen that through history. We've seen looking at... Just look look at uh, King David and um, his children. He was a man after God's own heart. He was running the country, but he was neglecting his children. And because of that, his whole line suffered. Granted, there there was sin involved in that, but the main concept is he did not put time into his children like he should have. Same with Solomon. And again, all throughout history, uh, you have men that went into the mission field with a family but they neglected their family. They left for a year at a time or so. And now they're all of their children are grown up unbelievers. And right. most of them have even divorced their, their wives have divorced them because they did not realize what their true ministry was beyond Christian husbands, you know, have having this issue and, and causing these, causing these problems. We've said it here multiple times. What's the most likely indicator for, Jail time and poverty. Absence of the father. Absence of the father. Absence yep. of the male leader. Yes. Not just, well, for lack of a better term, not just the sperm donor. Uh, yeah, the, no, the, exactly. The actual leader of the home that says, I, I am responsible for you as my wife and as my kids. And, and that's why we see so much poverty and so much crime is it's in the single mom households. Yeah. It's in the... It's in the, uh, especially the boys without dads. Yes. So, yeah. It, it's so imperative. I mean, just look at, it, I mean, talk about an apologetic tool right here. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the Bible being so adamant about husbands and how they are to lead their wives and lead their kids. And then compare that to when they don't and just look at how bad it turns out. Oh, yeah. For everyone involved. For the dad, for the, the single mom. And I love single mom. Like, we love you. God bless you for what you're doing. That, that wasn't God's design. That was not God's design. Right? Yeah. We get it. K- kids are a blessing. Whether you're single, whether you had kids and got divorced, k- kids are an absolute blessing. And that's not we're not saying that yeah. in any negative way. Yeah. But that wasn't God's design. And so yeah. there's more challenges, a lot more challenges to overcome yeah. when there's no dad around, when there's no husband around. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and real quick, looking <clears throat> at children, Scripture says <laughs> children are a blessing from God. God gives children. Looking at the role of the father when it comes to the children. So Ephesians chapter 6, we'll we'll go verse 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Important one here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Other, uh, King, I think King James would say, don't exacerbate your children. And what that means is putting it into a practical way. And I'm guilty of it. I am. Of I have a kid throwing a temper tantrum and have, they have this whiny voice. And without even thinking, I, I throw it back at them. I mimic their whiny voice. Yeah. And my wife has to look at me and she quotes this. <laughs> she says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> Lord forgive me. You're right. <laughs> but and that's it. That's I don't want to I don't want to call it a simple form of provoking your children, but exhibit A. Yeah. That's that yeah. one way to that's provoke your child to, to yeah. anger. And I'm I am working on it. I am not perfect. So I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> well, I, I was a foster parent for a while. I think I've mentioned that. And I had a kid throwing a temper tantrum and I looked at him. He was he was going nuts. I just looked at him and I did exactly what he was doing. Yeah. I started yelling. I started throwing stuff. I slammed a door and just did the exact same thing he did. And he got so mad <laughs> over me doing that. Yeah. Why, why are you acting? You're the adult. Why are you acting right. like this? What, this is not how this is supposed to go. <laughs> right. And it was. It was It was not a good moment. But it, it was. <laughs> I, we get it. You're at your wit's end. Right. Yeah. And, and you just. Uh, how? I need you to hear how you sound. And that's just not. It. it it's not the way it's supposed to go. Not the way it's supposed <laughs> to go. No, exactly. And yeah, so I want to look at a couple couple scriptures I'll bounce back and forth to just solidifying what is the father supposed to do? What is the role of the father in the home when it comes to parenting the children? So real quick, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you are a son of God, if you're a child of God, and you do something wrong, it says you're going to be disciplined. But it is a good thing. That's God's grace saying, I am disciplining you because I love you. Because the alternative is, one of the alternatives is he strike, he kills you on the spot. His <laughs> perfect going, justice. Yeah, yeah, for going against his will. You know, not saying you don't kill your kids. Anyway. That's yeah, that's definitely saying. not what we're saying. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, to get what we deserve would be that. Not, not discipline. It would be just straight up, okay, you're gone. I'm done with you. Yeah. And, and it says... If you are not being disciplined, you are not God's children. But that's the basic concept as well with a human father and his human children. We are to discipline them. It is biblical. Uh, so looking at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. This this is King Solomon. A lot of looking at this, most of this is written towards the end of his life when he knew he messed up. He sees his children and he sees what he should have done and how folly is built up. Foolishness is built up in the heart of a child and it's driven away with a rod and that's what he should have done, but he probably didn't do it as much as he should have. And same thing with King David. Well, it's 
it's leading your child to maturity. It's taking them from the folly of children to being an adult and being a, a God-fearing, functioning member of society, yeah. right? It, it's You see it all the time. Well, again, you see it all the time with, with crime and with poverty. Yeah. And this generational poverty, the, the, the cycle that they can't seem to break because they never have had that father to, to show them how to be a man or how to be a woman, right? And, yeah. And, 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 and what kind of man you need to pursue as a woman, or what kind of man that you need to look for <laughs> yes, as, yeah. as a woman, not pursue. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. But what kind of man their daughters need to look for in a husband. Yeah. That is the father's role is to say, men, here is how you be a man. Or yep. boys, here's how you become a man. Girls, here's what you look for in a husband. Yeah. For someone who can lead you as, as, as a godly husband. Yes. And, but no, if we were to have that kind of revival in this country, jails would be emptied. Yeah. Right? Poverty would, would be much less. I mean, the Bible says the poor are always going to be among you. Yeah. But there would be much less much poverty. Much less. Much less generational poverty. Mm-hmm. Right? You would have the one-offs here and there. But, but the generational poverty yeah. of where this family just can never get over that hump. That would go away, or at least, oh, yeah. at least decrease drastically, if we were to have that kind of awakening in the church community, in the African American community, just in this country as a whole. Men stepping up to be fathers and husbands, teaching boys how to become men, teaching girls what to look for in a man. We wouldn't recognize the country that we're in now. We wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, no, it'd no, be incredible, momentous, definitely. And, and the, the last one is. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So disciplining your children is such an important part. And looking at the dynamic between the husband and the wife, it is the husband's role to step up, to discipline the children, to take that authority. But... When the husband leaves, so I go to work. I'm working throughout the day. I'm gone for a 10 to, 10 to 11 hour day. My wife is at home with the children. I have now, my my authority of disciplining children has now gone to her. And she's home all day with them. And now it's her job to discipline them if they've done something wrong. And this is where the mix up comes. Now I come home. She's been there all day with the kids. She knows what's been going on. She knows their attitudes, how they've been acting. I come home, I don't know any of it. But when I come home and I step through the threshold, I now assume back that authority. And my wife relinquishes it back to me. So how does that work? And a lot of times it's a mix-up. It's something happens. One of the kids start throwing a temper tantrum. She's still in mom mode from the day. She has that authority. And... She is about to jump on him, but I'm jumping on him. So we're both getting on it. And and it took us a while to get there of, okay, who's, who, who steps back? And coming to that realization of, okay, I am the father. I need to take this responsibility. It's my authority. I'm taking this one. And so my wife steps back, says, okay, by the way, this is what's been happening today. I'm right. like, okay, gives me something to work with. And so I'm able to deal with it. But I'm taking that authority back. And... That I think that's a very important one that people don't really talk about very much. So being able to, as a husband and wife, have that conversation and realize, okay, when this changes and when it doesn't, making sure you you cover that basis. <laughs> so just to kind of wrap up this this parenting idea, I think we can put a simple kind of 
tagline on this or a simple kind of overarching theme that does get deeper and you are able to dive into it deeper. And maybe we'll do that at some point with maybe with Emily or maybe, you know, maybe with other parents that can speak more to this than I can. But the father's role in the house, just to kind of sum it up in one sentence, correct me if you don't like this and I'll (laughs) cut this out, I promise. But it is, it's what I said a few minutes ago. It is to teach boys how to become godly men and then to teach girls how to become godly women and what to look for in godly men. Yes. And that is a simplistic view of it that has so many layers and components. Being a parent's like an onion, right? There's there's just there are layers upon layers of, <laughs> of the parenting tree. But that outer layer, that's the basic, just kind of overarching theme. Teach your boys to become godly men. Teach your girls how to become godly girls or godly women and what to look for in, the, in, in godly men. And, yes. and teach your boys how to treat women. And, yeah. and how to lead women. So I think that can encompass it all. And then there's so many just layers and things you can dive into. And really, what does that look like practically? I'm all about practicality. But that's for a different episode because oh, yeah. we're already running a little long on this one. <laughs> but that could be a whole series in and of itself. And, and there are books and resources and seminars and conferences that are dedicated just to that. And, and you know, we'll, we'll tackle it at some point. Yeah. And yeah, so to kind of wrap this up diving into the church what is the role of men in the church and this is where it gets more dicey this is where you have the differencing of opinion versus just all out controversy i guess you could say of it is the responsibility of men to lead in the church and so i want to look at we're going to go to first timothy chapter three and i i'm going to read out the qualifications of an overseer deacon. I'm going to jump to Titus, look at the qualifications of a elder, and we're just going to kind of talk about it and look at it for a minute. All right. So chapter three, first Timothy qualifications for overseer deacons. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Qualifications for deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy or dishonest for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is Christ Jesus. And then switching to Titus chapter 1, qualifications for elders. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, 
as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, looking at these qualifications, number one is they must be the husband of one wife. So, right off the bat, this, in my understanding of scripture, also excludes unmarried men. If you are an unmarried man wanting to be a pastor, you don't meet the qualification to be a pastor because you don't have a wife, but you also don't have children. And the next qualification is keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So, this is a role for men. This is a role for married men. Being able to have children for people to see their children and see that their children are submissive to their their father. This is this is a very important part. But again, this is for men. Men are to be pastors over the church. Let me ask you a question real quick just yeah. to kind of throw cuz I have this verse if we and I don't think we're going to get to it today, which is fine. But the the role of a single man right. in, in some of these fields. I understand when you when you talk about how it says the husband of one wife. Right. And how if you're not married, you might, you're might you probably disqualified. Right. But you look at Paul. Right. And Paul wasn't married. But he wasn't a pastor. Now, he wasn't a pastor. Right. I understand. And he wasn't an elder. And he was, was he not an elder? No. Are you sure? The only one who called himself an elder was Peter. Was it Peter? Yeah. All that Paul was was a teacher. Okay. So looking, and I'm just curious. Yeah, have, no, that's a first, good one. First Corinthians seven, yep, uh, where he says, "Now it's a concession, not a command. I say this: I wish that all were as I myself am." Which yes, he, he, in context, he's talking about sexual immorality, and you know, if you're able to control yourself, you can stay single. Yes, if you're not, get married, right? Because sex is for marriage. Yes, and Paul was able to control himself and was able to remain single and still yeah. teach and still do, you know, yeah, his ministry. Yeah. No, and and that's a great one, because looking at who wrote this, this was Paul. This was Paul writing Timothy. Timothy being a a young man of whom Paul sent many places, and even Timothy made elders on some places. He he had to go help with the, the picking of elders. Looking at the five ministries throughout the church, you have pastoring, you have the elders, but you have teaching, you have evangelism, stuff like that. Paul was a missionary. Paul was a, a teaching missionary that was going around to all these different cities and teaching the Word of God. But he never pastored a church. He never stayed at one church and pastored them. He just taught them to where they could pick up themselves. And looking at Timothy, Timothy was never a pastor anywhere. When, As of what we know when he was younger, just that he was going and he was teaching these other men. So, making that distinction of pastors... Pastors and elders being married, having children, uh, more so children for the pastor so that people can see, okay, they're actually able to oversee and, the, yeah. the flock. Yeah. yeah. Now, you get into other things. Uh, uh, the, one of the biggest ones that most people use is when Paul is saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea. So, and they like to point out uh, Phoebe as a deaconess, and uh, there there are several 
spots throughout scripture that that point stuff like that out. But there is a deep difference in this type of deacon, I believe, than when you're talking about, say, a deaconess. Um, this deacon, again, looking at the structure of the church, you have God being head over the church. Then you have the pastor, which guides and leads the congregation. Then you have the elders who support the pastor being able to teach throughout the church. But then you have the deacons. It doesn't say anything about the deacons teaching. This is where the deacons are able to help through ministries throughout the church or being able to help with just church faculty things throughout yeah. the church or just the people in the church. The day-to-day -day Physically running. serving, physically serving the community and the people. This is also the basic same premise for the women as well. Um, but they're they're not supposed to teach. And and same thing with elders. Elders now teach men. Men, yes. Yes. Right. As Paul would say, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority or teach men. And uh, it's another sticky one because people will look at that and say, oh, well, that's just Paul. Paul was a sexist and he didn't like women, which I, I reading throughout scripture, don't I, I don't see anywhere. that. No. I don't see that. He was, he was very, very kind. I mean, just the fact, looking at the way he spoke about Timothy's mother and his grandmother, looking at the way he talked about Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila, I don't see that. And when people say, oh, well, that was just Paul's thought, and that was just what Paul said, okay, take that step back. Is this the word of God? Is this the breathed out word of God? Then even if Paul said it, it's in the Bible, therefore it's the word of God. And we need to be able to pay attention and close close attention to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be hated on this week for sure. <laughs> but again, keep an open mind when it comes to scripture and a soft heart. Because this isn't me saying it. This is scripture. I'm just reading it out loud. So, I mean, shoot the messenger if you want. But <laughs> this is what scripture just, says. Just no, he shoots back. <laughs> <laughs> I suffer for Christ's sake, okay? <laughs> so, kind of just closing thoughts and closing yeah. questions. Why were all the old prophets men? Why were all of the apostles men? And I'm, I'm sorry to say, well, I'm not sorry to say it, but Mary Magdalene was not an apostle. It, it does not say that anywhere in scripture. The apostles, the men, the twelve, they were men. Why did God choose men? Being a father, God the father, he's not God the mother. There is a reason why God has placed men in that authority figure. Now, with that caveat, he wants biblical, godly men in these roles. He does not want ungodly, threatening men right. in these roles. And that is a very important distinction. Right. If, I mean, I'll go there. If you have a husband that is abusive. Forgive me, but get the hell out of there. You get the hell out of that house. If he is hurting you, you get out. Now, and that gets into the topic of divorce and, and stuff. A yeah, that's a completely different, different conversation. But, but you get away from that. Yeah. And God wants godly biblical men to lead in the home. He wants them to lead in the church, and he wants them to lead in the, the world. And we're, fa we're failing. We are utterly failing. That's why God sent Jesus. He sent his son to show us what true leadership looks like. And again, looking as a, as a, a husband, looking as a father, 
if I want to know how to come at a situation, I look at the ministry of Christ. Look at the way he talked to his disciples. Looking at the way he treated people. That's it. Literally, that's the roadmap. That yeah. If you want to know how to best treat your wives, besides praying, Lord, help me love my wife like you love the church, look at Christ's ministry. And that's it. Great conversation today. And, and Austin, just thank you for taking the lead on this and, and really pouring into it. You definitely carried carried the weight on this one. <laughs> Sorry. This week. No, it's, no, it's perfect. I get fired up with this no, when I it's, do. It's exactly what, what I was hoping for. Um, just be, Especially just with me not having that experience of being a husband and being a biological father for more than, or, or ever, right? And then, right. Or, or being a parent for more than by myself for a few months at a time. So Grafted father. Grafted father. Yeah. yeah. Just a little, little placeholder for a little bit, you know. Yeah. And so it, it's great advice. It's advice that is countercultural. Mm-hmm. It's advice that would radically change this country. Yeah. If we followed it. If yeah. radically if change this country. It would start at your local church and it would start in your communities, but it would radically change. If, if we stuck to this biblical model of manhood, we would radically change this country. Yeah. And sure. the world, ultimately. But yeah. I mean, specifically for our purposes right now, this country would be unrecognizable. Yeah. If we would. Stick to this game plan, this <laughs> blueprint that's just right here. Literally right in front of us. And, and, yeah. it, and it, it just it blows my mind, and I'm going to end with this. It blows my mind that we, throughout history, we have seen this model laid out in Scripture work, right? Right. Throughout Scripture, we have seen this model prove itself to be the best way to go about this. Right. And yet, as a culture, for whatever reason, we hate this model. Yeah. We despise this model. We reject it. We say men can be women, women can be men, these roles can be inter- interchangeable, and then everything falls apart. Because this model goes against our flesh. Poverty goes up. Crime goes up. Fatherless homes go go through the roof. Bastard children are running around everywhere without a father. Yeah. When we don't follow, it just blows my mind how we can see this working throughout history, and yet we still just completely reject it. Yeah. And say, nah, this is dumb. This is it's old fashioned. This is sexist. This is whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> it's old news. Old news. Yeah. But it works. It works. Yeah. That's the way God designed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the strongest churches, the strongest communities are the ones with the strongest, godliest fathers yes. and husbands. Yeah. And I say that as a single guy who, <laughs> you know, doesn't have much of a dog in that fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But. So, anyway, great stuff. Thank you for again for really diving into this. Well, uh, next week we are going to discuss biblical womanhood, right? Yeah. Well, and so leading off with this, it'll be the role of women. Okay. And uh, again, pray you guys have an open mind to scripture and soften your heart. But looking at okay, what does scripture say the role of women are supposed to be in in the home and in the church and so on and so forth? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, we are really close to 100 followers on Facebook. And we're at 67. To me, that's really close. <laughs> it's more I than halfway. I was expecting way. you to say like 89 or no, something. No, 67. Okay. okay. But we've gotten a bunch in the last like week and a half. Yeah, We've gotten true. like 10, I think. So, so I want to come up with something. And Austin, I have not talked about this. This is how I do things. I just come up with ideas. <laughs> Surprise! Here we go. Uh, but I, I want to figure out something for when we hit 100 followers to, like, give them something. Like, have a contest, have cool. a drawing, have something to... I mean, I have bracelets, but, you know, it's a bracelet. Yeah. Like, we could figure... But have some sort of, like, hey, help us get to 100 followers and we're going to do something cool. Yeah. For yeah. you guys. So, uh, help us to get to 100 followers. 
Uh, share our page. Invite people to like our page. Just see if we can get get that number up. And yeah. check us out. Facebook, Instagram, we're on both. Maybe eventually on Twitter. Website will be back up and running at some point when I've decided to stop writing four papers a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, give us a five-star review on Apple if you can. At Spotify, give us a review. Um, and we'll, we'll we'd be much obliged and highly appreciative. Amen. As we continue to go through. Man, I tell you what, I, I sit there and I, I look at my list of topics of oh, ideas. Man. And I'm like, this is insane. How are we going to get to all these things? Maybe one day I'm just going to sit here and just we're just going to record 17 episodes in one day. Might not be a bad And idea. just release them all. Oh, wow. Right, that's a <laughs> lot of editing. That's not what that's I That's a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, so anyway. But no, we got so much on the books. Coming and, down and the pipeline. Coming down the pipeline. I'm, I'm super excited. We're going to dip our toes into some really deep topics and, and uh, tough topics and topics that are going to get us canceled and topics that are going to make people in the church mad, topics that are going to make people outside of the church mad. Like, we're just going to just anger everybody. And I'm excited. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> bringing this back, <laughs> we're not purposefully trying to make people angry, but if scripture makes you angry, yeah, I don't know what else to do for you. I say that very tongue in Pray for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So no, for sure. But, um, so check us out on all those social medias. Say hey to us. Um, and we will see you guys next week for episode 52. Thanks again to Atticus for jumping on last week, episode 50. If you haven't checked that out, go check that out. He's got some pretty cool stuff on there about the commission and three-thirds group. So pretty exciting stuff. But uh, we will see you guys next week. In the meantime, stay stay rooted. rooted.